looking at living by principles. Principles aren't necessarily doctrines. There's practices and guidelines that we use. Second Corinthians chapter 9, while you're turning to that, we have looked at another principle, a number of them so far, separation, consecration, always putting God first, the importance of Christian fellowship, heavenly affections, authority, temptation, finishing. Uh, we looked at not looking back and living by feelings. We need to live by fact instead of feelings. Last time we looked at the principle of worry. And you just have to do what's right. You have to trust God that God will take care of you and I do the right thing. Pastor, what are we looking at today? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I'd like us to begin verse number 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, if you'd follow as I read. Paul says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for each one that's here. Lord, I know that some were not able to make it, some dealing with sickness, Lord, other things, and pray to help each one where they're at. Lord, we pray to help us to understand this verse and others related to it. Help us to uh, learn yet another principle that we ought to live by in the Christian life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It's obvious from reading verse 6 that it's talking about sowing and reaping. And you know that throughout the Bible there's a number of great verses on that subject. What you sow is what you reap. What you put out is what you get back. Uh, you can hold your hand there in 2 Corinthians, but look in Galatians, very next book, Galatians 6, probably the best passage on the subject of sowing and reaping is Galatians 6, and really it's found from verse 7 through verse 9. Again, Galatians chapter 6, beginning there in verse number 7, the Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so if you are interested in writing a couple of things down, instantly the principle tonight is the principle of generous living. Now notice, I didn't say generous giving, so you can relax. We're not talking about giving tonight. We're talking about generous living. And uh, it's, it's all involved in this law of sowing and reaping. What we learn there from Galatians 6 and verse 7, look at it again, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so there are three laws of sowing and reaping. And the first law is what we sow, is uh, that's what we're going to reap. And so if uh, there's a farmer that sows wheat seed, he knows that he's going to reap wheat, because what we sow is what we're going to reap. If a gardener, I noticed there were seeds in a basket for the last week or so. If you took radish seeds and you sowed those radish seeds, you would not expect to grow oranges. That's pretty basic, even for me who knows nothing about planting. What you sow is what you reap. That's the first law of sowing and reaping. Why don't you look at the second law, and that's also found in Galatians 6, 7. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so notice the tense of those words. Again, verse number 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that's present tense. So whatever you're sowing right now, look at the very 
end of verse number seven, that shall he, that's future tense. So the first law of sowing and reaping is what we sow, uh, that shall we also reap, that's the what. Uh, the second law of sowing and reaping is we reap later than we sow. So you can sow it this morning, it's probably not going to be reaped this afternoon. It's going to take weeks, or depending on what the crop is going to take months, and that's why, again, that verse number seven says, whatsoever man soweth, present tense, it says that shall he also reap. And so, again, no farmer expects to plant seeds this morning and have a full crop this afternoon. It just doesn't work like that. Uh, just because you haven't reaped any crop yet that you sowed bad. A lot of folks say, well, it's turned out okay so far. God never said the reaping happens right away. You've heard me say this before, but the, the reason that most older folk, uh, we're going to say 40 and older, the, most, uh, the reason that most folk 40 and older begin to live a more conservative life is by 40 they're beginning to reap things that they sowed when they were younger. And they had no idea that that would be the result of decisions that they made when they were younger. Why, the first thing is what we see, uh, reap, we sow. What we sow, we reap. Uh, the second thing is we reap later than we sow. Now, not only don't we reap a good crop right away, we don't re uh, reap a bad crop right away. Incidentally, look there in verse number 9. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. So the same point. We always reap later than we sow. And so if you're a Christian, grown up in a Christian home, and you've had Christian values, and you have followed those through your childhood and through your youth, and you are continuing to follow those now that you've graduated, God bless you because you have a lifetime of reaping that which is good. We know that some young people decide when they graduate from school that's not what they want to do. They want to go a different direction. They want to go to the way of the world. And for the first year, it seems it works okay. Sometimes, first two years, three years, four years, it seems the decision that they made was okay. But we always reap later than we sow. And that's why verse number nine says in due season. Just keep doing what's right. It may look like it was too much work for the worry, but it will prove itself. The third truth, not only uh, we reap what we sow, and secondly, we reap later than we sow. But would you look there in, uh, and you're gonna have to turn to another place, keep Galatians if you would. Hosea chapter number 8. Now that's going to be a little bit of a hunt. Don't give up on it. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. So if you found Jonah, you've gone too far. Hosea chapter number 8. Again, we're just trying to establish some basic laws of sowing and reaping. Again, we reap what we sow. Secondly, we reap later than we sow. And finally, Hosea chapter 8 and verse 7, it says, For they have sown the wind, 
and they shall reap the whirlwind. Now hold on, now we not only have a difference, uh, but the difference is size of what you reap. Here it talks about the sowing was wind, but the reaping was a whirlwind. Could I say third, we reap more than we have sown? It's always more. You say, preacher, it was just a little thing. Yeah, but when it comes back, it'll be a big thing. Pastor was just a little lie. Well, no doubt when the crop's finally in, it will be a big crop. Pastor was just a little good thing. One day when God rewards it, it'll be a big thing. I, uh, I was trying to think of some kind of uh, example of that, and uh, I think of corn. Learned a little bit about corn today. I love corn. Corn on the cob, there's 3,500 different uses for corn. But since I like eating corn on the cob, we'll talk about corn on the cob. Farmer starts by, I'm guessing. If I'm wrong, help me later. A farmer guesses, a farmer starts by putting just a few seeds, maybe a few kernels of corn into that ground. He covers up with dirt, maybe waters it, I suppose. Do you know, as that begins to grow, it grows a stalk, and on that stalk are cobs. I'm told that every ear of corn has even rows of corn. I didn't know that. That'll help you when you're eating it. Can't eat, anyway. Every row has 16, uh, sorry, the average is 16 rows of corn. Uh, every row has 50 kernels of corn. So if you take 16, multiply that by 50, you have 800 kernels on a cob. It started with three. It ends with 800. Certainly uh, you reap what you sow. Certainly you reap later than you sow. And third, you reap more than you sow. And back there, if you would, to Galatians chapter number 6. So those are the laws of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6, and after Paul has talked about, verse 7, 8, 9, talk about sowing and reaping, I want you to notice he's not talking about money. Now remember, I said I wasn't preaching on generous giving. I'm preaching on generous living. Look at verse number 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So I would suggest to you that verse 7, 8, 9, 10, they're just talking about sowing generously good things in your life to other people. Again, we're looking this evening on the principles of generous living. Uh, back there to 2 Corinthians 6. Hopefully you still have it. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, look there in, sorry, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. So tonight I'm just trying to encourage you and I to be generous in our sowing in every area of our life. Because again, one day we'll reap that back, and uh, we'll reap it later, and we'll reap it more. Say, preacher, what exactly is generous? That word generous means sharing frequently and sharing freely with others what belongs to us. Generous is kindness. 
Generous is compassion and it's empathy. Generous is not giving to someone something you don't want. That's not generous. I've heard some sad stories of missionaries got a crate sent to them, open up the crate, and in that crate were used tea bags. So that's generous. No, that's not generous at all. Someone gave away something they didn't want. I heard one time someone opened up a crate and there were 400 red high heels. And they were all rights. <laughs> they say, well, that's generous. No, that's not generous at all. Someone gave away something that they didn't want to begin with. Again, we're looking at this principle of generous living. And to be generous is to be unselfish and voluntarily go without something that you have and maybe you need. Read about this teacher that stood before her class and tried to teach the younger children what it meant to be generous. And she taught those things, and feeling that she had been successfully teaching them, she asked if uh, any of them had an example of where they had been generous. And a little boy raised his hand and he said, yes, sometimes I go without a bath, even though I need one. Well, no, that's not generous. She obviously had failed at that. You know, back in the 1700s, there was a man named John Ules, E-L-W-E-S, and he was a member of Parliament, but he was known as one of the strangest men in England because though he was fabulously wealthy, he was a miser. So uh, he inherited a large sum of money from his father who died when he was a boy. Then he had an even larger sum from a rich uncle who had no children. And yet this man, with all that he had to his name, he dressed in rags so he could avoid buying clothes so much so that on several occasions, people, when they passed him on the street, gave him money because they thought there's a man that's in need, having no idea that they just gave money to the richest, one of the richest men in England, thinking that he was a beggar. He refused to buy anything, and uh, he refused to pay for the repairs of his large estate until finally it came, became uninhabitable and there were people after this John Ules died that said likely he was the uh, inspiration for Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. They say, Preacher, why would you say that? At death, he left behind him the equivalent of almost $100 million in today's money. But neither he nor others ever benefited from his wealth I'm saying he never learned to be generous in anything, not just in giving. And so again, we're going to look here tonight, the principles of generous living. You can let go of all those passages. Look there at Psalm 107. Psalm 107, preacher, are you suggesting that we ought to live generously? That's exactly what we're saying. Psalm chapter 107, and look there in verse number 8. Psalm 107 and verse number 8. Now, from the get-go, the word generous isn't found anywhere in the Bible. And I thought that was kind of strange. We talk about being generous often. But there is a word that's a close kin to the word generous, and believe it or not, that word is good. When you are good to people... That is oftentimes giving them something that they don't deserve. It's often parting with things that you would very much like to keep. 
So we can't hunt down the word generous. It's not found in the scriptures, but we can find a similar word good. Look there in Psalm 107, verse 8. The Bible says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. If you're taking notes tonight, the first thing I'd have you consider, our God is generous in his character. Our God is generous in his character. To be good is undeservedly kind. And that's God. Folks, I think if we took time to make a list of all the things that God's done for us, God has been very good to us. Again, the first thing, our God is generous in his character. I don't know how you were taught to pray as a child, but I remember as just a child, one of my early prayers is God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Now, we already know that God is great. We know that God is almighty, God is powerful. We know that, but you know, God is also good. You can be great, but not good. You can be powerful, but not generous to people. And yet our God is not only great, but our God is good. So the first thing, again, if you haven't written, our God is generous in his character. Would you agree that God showed his generousness in creation? You know, with all that God had up in heaven, he didn't need the earth, he didn't need the sun, moon, and the stars. God made those things for you and for me. And they're all different. When God made this earth, he made it different. And when God planted trees and made dirt, and when God put birds, and God did all of those things different, not for him, but for you and for me. And uh, he could have made those things in black and white. Instead, he made it in technicolor. I learned when I was just in high school that uh, someone in one of the biology classes cut open a frog. And you'd say, that's a nasty thing. Well, the boys seemed to all like it. But they cut open a frog, and inside the frog, all those organs were different colors. You say, why would God do that? He's just good. He's just good. He knew that there would be young men in biology classes that would have to see that. So he made all of those things beautiful in his sight. And we want, when we want to go see men, now think about this. If you want to go see a man-made sight, you have to stand in line and then you have to pay a price so that you can see it. But you know, if you want to see a God-made sight, you normally don't have to pay for it. You can just look up in the sky and you can see it. I say God was generous in creation. Not only that, God was generous in salvation. Again, we're still on this first point. Our God is generous in his character. We know that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to this earth to redeem us. And what did men do in response to that? They crucified him. And yet our Lord, still willing to pay for all of our sins, and then he offered that salvation freely. Salvation is God's generous gift to this rebellious people. We know that God is so generous with that that he said, whosoever. I'm trying to follow through a thought. Our God is generous in his character. He's generous in creation. He's generous in salvation we know that he's generous in sanctification. 
and all the things that God does to get our attention, to help us to walk closer with Him, I'm saying that everything that God does is above and beyond ordinary. And we know that it's great. You're there in Psalm 107. Look again at verse number 8. All that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. As good as God's been to you and me. We should praise Him for it. Look there in verse number 15. All that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. Verse number 21. All that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. And then verse 31. All that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. Whoever wrote this psalm was convinced that God is good. Second thing, while you're still in Psalm 107, if you've already written down, our God is generous in His character. Look again in Psalm 107, verse 8. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. Look at the last part. And for His wonderful works to the children of men. Do you know the second thing? Our God showed He's generous by His kindness to us. Now, you know that in the Old Testament, how generous God was with Israel. But many nations that were not of Israel were kind of outside of those promises. We know in the New Testament, God has thrown open the door of his generosity to the whole world. I'm saying, secondly, our God showed that he's generous by his kindness to us. I wonder, uh, you've probably heard this, and if you're a trucker, I'm not hard on you, but you've probably heard this slogan, if you have it, a truck brought it. Anyone heard that? And I guess from a worldly perspective, they could say that, and, and good on a trucker. God bless truckers. Especially if they're on a convoy going to uh, Ottawa. But the truth is, the best things that you have, a truck didn't bring it. God brought it. I think of salvation. Salvation to you. God brought it. I'm trying to say, secondly, our God showed he's generous by his kindness to us. I think of eternal security. If you're saved, God did that for you. If you are eternally secure in Christ, and don't think you have to endure to the end, a truck didn't give you that security. God did. A promised home in heaven. I'm saying to you that there are so many things that God has given. He could be great, and he is. And he could be good, and God is. But I say to you, God is good to you. And God is good to me. He's given us a perfect Bible. He's a prayer-hearing God. He gives a peace that passeth all understanding. And he gives us a desire for spiritual things and a local church family and people who care for us and talents that we can use for him. If you can sing, God gave you that. If you can play an instrument, God gave you that. And I know it's still on, the onus is on us to develop it. I understand that. But if you put me before that piano, it will not sound like many of you before that piano. If you gave me a solo to sing, I used to be able to sing. See, Pastor, I never heard that. 
I used to be, after the transplant, tomorrow is my sixth anniversary of a transplant. Uh, if you asked me to sing, uh, it wouldn't do justice. Some of you, God has given a beautiful voice to sing, handsome voice to sing. God's done that. If, if you can plan, God's done that. If you can put together a meal in the kitchen, God's done that. I'm saying to you, not only our God is generous in our, his character, but secondly, our God showed he's generous by his kindness to us. And it's not because we deserve it. It's because he's generous. I think of, uh, I read this, it said one day a beggar was by the roadside and Alexander the Great uh, was riding a horse, came by this beggar on the roadside. That man was poor and wretched. He had no claims upon the ruler's kindness in fact, he had no right even to lift a begging hand to that emperor. But when the emperor looked at that beggar, he took out of his pocket several gold coins and he tossed them at the beggar. And uh, one of the companions of the king was kind of astonished at Alexander's generosity. And he said, uh, Sir, copper coins would have adequately met that beggar's need why would you give him gold coins? And Alexander the Great responded, copper coins might have suited the beggar's need, but gold coins suit a king's giving. Do you know why God's been so good to us? It's not because we deserve it. It's because God is generous. We're trying to learn about this principle of generous living. You know that when David became the king, 2 Samuel 9, once he established peace in his kingdom, we know that he asked the question, is there anyone still of the lineage of Saul, the lineage of Jonathan? He said, is there any, uh, yet any of the house of Saul that I might show the kindness of God unto him? And there was a man named Ziba. He said, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And we don't have time to get it into Mephibosheth. But when Mephibosheth was be taken away, uh, his nurse dropped him. And, and because of that, his legs were lame. And he grew up in the town of Lodabar, and he was lame. He, he couldn't take care of himself. He was an invalid, had a handicap situation. And when the question was asked, is there any, uh, not yet, any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness? The answer was, Jonathan hath yet a son, which is lame. It almost sounds slurry. You don't want to bother with him. Just lame. Was an invalid. It doesn't really count. And yet David said, fetch Mephibosheth. Folks, not only has God been very kind and generous, that's his character, but God has showed his kindness to us. I give you a third thing, if you would look there in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter number 6. So if we have already established the fact that our God is generous in his character, and if we have learned that our God showed he's generous, 
by his kindness to us. Uh, the third thing that we learn about this principle of being generous, look there in 1 Timothy 6 and verse number 17. The Bible says, charge them that are rich in this world. Notice verse 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Do you know, once we've established that God is generous and that God has been very generous to you and me, could I say the third thing? Would you write this down? God's generosity ought to compel us to share it with others. God's generosity ought to compel, it, uh, compel us to share it with others. And that's why verse number 17, charge them that are rich in this world. Verse 18, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute. Now, as soon as a preacher says that God says you should be generous with what you have, immediately many people will say, well, I'm not one of those rich people. <laughs> We race to excuse ourselves from this very command that God's given. Well, let's see. Verse 17. Paul says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, don't be proud about it like, like you uh, accumulated all this, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Look again at verse 17. Charge them. I think when Paul wrote this, Paul was convinced he didn't have much, materially. And you know that Paul, near the end of his ministry, he didn't own a home, he didn't have big investments. All that Paul had was on his back and maybe in a bag that he carried and so maybe Paul recognized that if you compared bank accounts, he wasn't rich. And that's why he said, verse 17, charge them that are rich and that notice them. So maybe Paul didn't include himself in that rich crowd, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in living God. Now notice the end of verse 17. Who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. So if Paul didn't categorize himself with them, Paul still had to admit in the end of verse 17 that God giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Folks, God's been good to us. And the wise Christian recognizes it's all God when the blessings come in. An unwise Christian will receive and receive and receive, but will never give up. So a wise Christian gets and gives. Uh, if, if you have a map in the back of your Bible, don't look for it now, but if you do, you'll know that Palestine, on this side is the Mediterranean Sea, but you know that land of Canaan, there are two seas that are connected with the Jordan River. Uh, the northern sea is the Sea of Galilee, and water comes into that sea, and it passes through that sea, and 
then it sends water down that Jordan River. So the Sea of Galilee takes in fresh water, and it sends out fresh water. As it follows down that Jordan River, it comes to another sea. Anyone know the name of that sea? It's the Dead Sea. So you have the Sea of Galilee. Sometimes it's called the Sea of Gennesaret. It has a couple names. Sometimes it's called the Sea of Tiberias, but the same sea. It's a sea that takes in and gives out, takes in and gives out. And you know, that Sea of Galilee is where all the stories of Jesus in a fishing boat, all the stories of Jesus walking on the water, that sea was a fruitful, it abounded in all kinds of, it was alive because it took in and gave out. It took in and gave out. But as that water flowed down that Jordan River, it came to that second sea called the Dead Sea. And if you know your map, that Dead Sea takes water in, but it never gives out. And so it keeps taking in and taking in and taking in, but everything that's taken in, because it doesn't give out, it all dies. And that's why it's called the Dead Sea. If you were to go there, they have just piles and piles of salt that they have taken out of that Dead Sea. And some say it's because there's so much salt that nothing can grow. But the truth is it's because that sea takes in and never gives out. Do you know what? God is a gracious God. And God's graciousness is shown by his kindness to you and me. But if you recognize all that you have God has given, then folks, you have to get into a pattern of giving out and being gracious to other people with what God has given to us. I heard this cute story. I believe it's a true story, but uh, this cute story, uh, it's, it was about uh, four young men that were Bible college students and they were renting a house together. So they weren't dormitories of the school. They rented a house. And one Saturday morning, someone knocked on their door. And so they went to the door, opened it. And there was this beggarly-looking old man that was at the door. His eyes were kind of marbleized. And, and he had a silvery stub of whiskers on his face. And his clothes were ragged and torn. And, and even his shoes didn't match. In fact, they said... It looked like the shoes were made for the same foot, so two rights or two lefts. And he carried a wicker basket that was full of vegetables. None of them looked appealing, but he was trying to sell his vegetables, and they kind of felt sorry for him. So they bought some of his vegetables just to help him out, and he went on his way. And because they had been kind to him, well, next Saturday he showed up again. He appeared at the door with his basket of vegetables, and they looked at it, weren't sure how many were in the same basket the week before. And uh, those boys, uh, they, they got to know him a little bit better, and over the weeks they would invite him in to visit while he continued on his rounds. And soon they discovered why his eyes were mar marbleized. It wasn't because he was on drugs or alcohol, but because he had cataracts. And they learned that he lived just down the street in an old shack. But they found out after a number of weeks that he played the harmonica. And he was a Christian. And he liked to play Christian hymns. And that he really loved God. 
And so every Saturday they'd invite him in and he would play his harmonica and they would sing Christian hymns together. And over the weeks and months they became great friends. And those boys began trying to figure out ways to help him. They tried to be generous. And uh, one Saturday morning, right in the middle of all their singing and praising, this man suddenly said to them, God is so good. And they all agreed, and they kind of wondered why he would say that, but they all agreed, yes, yes, God is good. And he went on to say, do you know why he's good? And they said, okay, why? And he said, because yesterday when I got up and opened my door, there were boxes full of clothes and shoes and coats and gloves. God is so good. And these four boys are looking at each other with a bit of a smile. And so they began singing again, and he said, wait, wait, wait. Do you know why God is so good? And they said, well, you already told us why. What, what more? He said, because after I found those boxes of shoes and coats and gloves, I found a family who could really use those things, so I gave them all away. You know, we would understand those four young men being generous to that man. It's hard to fathom how that man could be generous to someone else. Folks, we have no excuse not being generous. Now again, remember I said I'm not preaching on generous giving. So you can relax. I'm preaching on generous living. Hasn't God been generous to you in forgiveness? then we ought to be generous to others when they need forgiveness. Hasn't God been good to us in the area of patience? How long did you hear the gospel before you accepted Christ? He was patient. Then we need to be patient with others. Isn't it true God gave a second chance? We should give a second chance. God was generous in the area of instruction. Folks, we didn't learn it overnight. May we be generous in instructing others. He was generous in the area of loving us. And he was generous in the area of looking beyond what was obvious and seeing the potential that was in us. I'm not preaching on generous giving. It would be so easy to do that. I'm preaching on generous living with all the ways that God has been good to us, his generousness to us ought to compel us to share it with others. I'm done with this last one. Look there in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter number 2, we're looking at the principle of generous living. I've said, first, our God is generous in his character. And secondly, our God showed he's generous by his kindness to us. And third, God's generosity ought to compel us to share it with others. And finally, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God should taste death for every man. It's pretty obvious that God was generous to us 
by giving us his son, Jesus Christ. I don't think anyone here would argue with that. It had been so much easier to give an angel. He had lots of them. But he gave his only begotten son. Now look at verse 10. For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory. Stop right there. God gave his son. And in return, God got back many sons. And you know, when you and I are generous with what God has given us, and we're generous in sharing that with other people, God is going to reward that. And God's going to reward it with interest. Would you write this? Such generosity will be rewarded with compound interest. Such generosity will be rewarded. He gave one son, and he was rewarded with many sons. You know, the Bible says, you know it's true, you can't outgive God. God's a debtor to no man. Being generous in this life will help guard us against selfishness. Being generous helps us to keep our priorities right. But you know, if you're generous now when you can, there will come a day when you can't, and God will raise somebody up to be generous to you. There were once two young men at Leland Stanford University, and their own funds got desperately low. And the idea came to them that they would hire a well-known pianist and apparently in that day, I'm going to say it wrong, was Paderewski. They figured if we rent a piano hall and sell tickets to a piano recital, and then we give this well-known pianist whatever his fee will be, all the rest we can keep for profits to pay off our own board and tuition. They had a plan. Well, they contacted that pianist and the manager responded and said, he must be guaranteed $2,000. They figured that should be pretty easy. Everybody would like to come and hear this man. And so sure enough, they weren't, uh, they, they weren't discouraged by that at all. And they staged the concert and they worked hard only to find out at the end of it, they raised only $1,600. So they were 400 short. And so after the concert, the students uh, went up to that piano artist, and told him of all the efforts and all the results, and so they gave him their entire $1,600, and it was accompanied with a promissory note that they would give $400, and as soon as they earned that money, they would send that off to him, and so they gave him the $1,600 and this promissory note, and Paderewski, he said, no, that won't do. And he tore up the note to shreds. He handed the money back to them. And he said, I want you to take out of the 1600 all of your expenses. Then he said, I want you to keep for each of you 10% of the balance. And he said, then send me back the rest. You know what that's called? That's called generous. <laughs> he didn't have to. 
Well, years passed after that, uh, years of fortune and destiny, and Paderewski later became the premier of Poland. When the devastating war came and Paderewski, who was the premier, strived somehow to feed the starving thousands in, in Poland, and one man out of the blue stepped up and began to send him for his people thousands of tons of food, and it came by shipments into Poland for distribution by that Polish premier. And after the starving people were fed, Paderewski journeyed to Paris to thank the man for the relief that was sent. And the man said, that's all right, Mr. Paderewski. Incidentally, the man was Herbert Hoover. He said, that's all right, besides, you don't remember it, but you helped me once when I was a student at college, and I was $400 in the hole. Here a man was generous, and his generosity was repaid with compound interest. You know, I, I know that this world would say, give me money, I'll be happy. You know that that's not true. Money doesn't make people happy. Some people need something different than money. They just need a smile. Some people need a friend. Some people need a phone call. Some people need to be forgiven. Some people need for someone to care. Some people need to be invited over for a meal. There are some people that just need us to be generous. That's why we call it the principle of generosity. God has been more than generous to us. May God help us to be generous to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this principle of generosity. And Lord, I pray that you would help us. May we remember that our God is generous. May we remember that our God's been generous to us in so many ways. We remember, God, that your generosity ought to compel us to share what we have with others. And Lord, may we remember that sowing and reaping law is going to work on that generosity. We might not see it right away. We will see it. We'll see it later. And we'll likely see it later in a bigger way than we ever gave it out. Help us to be generous in the way that we live. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.